Amen. As you know, we're in the middle of a sermon's collection called Reset. And uh, like I mentioned last week, if you know anything about me, you know that I have a love-hate relationship with technology. You know, one minute, everything is working well. The next minute, you feel like throwing your devices or your modems or whatever out of the window because they're just going haywire. And so my first inclination, instead of throwing it out the window, is to hit something called the power button. Because when you hit the power button, what it does is it resets the device. It, no, it resets the device and it defragments everything. And when you turn the machine back on or you hit the power button, you're hoping that when it powers up that it won't resume the dysfunction that it once had. And the same thing that's true of many of our devices that go haywire, as I mentioned last week, is also apropos to our lives. Because many of us are looking to restart 2023 without the dysfunction of 2022. We want a fresh start. We want a new perspective. We want clearer vision. We want to start this year off right. And as I mentioned, some of us are going to try to do the reset button through New Year's resolutions. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with New Year's resolutions. But the problem is, is they're often temporary fix when we need long-term solutions. And so with, with, um, with New Year's resolutions, only about 10% of us actually follow through on them, and then we're back to square one. And we get upset. We're like, dang, I was hoping this year I was going to get organized or I was going to get quit smoking or I was going to get in the best shape of my life. And those things didn't happen. And many of us get discouraged by it. So uh, as we discuss, one of the ways that we can reset our lives is ask the question, instead of us selfishly asking, what do I want for my life? What do I want to get for my relationships? We ask the question, God, what do you want for me? And we found out the first week that one thing that God wants us to do is to fast. Somebody say fast. Not a social media fast, that's abstention, but to actually fast food for a greater spiritual purpose. It's letting God know that the cry of our hearts is greater than the cry of our stomachs. The last week we also know that someone who is a picture of uh, someone else, no, no, let me not do that one yet. Let me not do that one. So God desires, so, so we have to ask the question, what exactly does God want beside prayer and fasting? Well, we know that he wants wholeheartedness wholeheartedness. He wants us to stop playing or appearing one way, but being another. He wants us to be holy and live holy, not have the outside appearance as though we're that. And so when, I, when we look at this picture, and we looked at this picture of King Asa, the great, great, great grandson of King David, and we found out that his wholeheartedness fleshed out in two ways. Number one, he made a habit of repenting and reforming his life. So what that means is, he would repent, recognize, or say the same thing about his sin that God says about his sin. And then he ruthlessly went about Israel and uprooted all the, Id the idols there. And then a sign of wholeheartedness, as we determined, was prayer as dependence on God. As you saw in the preaching clip, it was, a, it was a good one. As you saw in the preaching clip, we know that prayerlessness is actually a sign of us expressing our sovereignty apart from God. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden that ate of the tree when God told them not to and they expressed their sovereignty or their independence from God, when we sin or we don't pray, it's almost like we're eating of that same apple. We're telling God, I got it on my own. I don't need you. I have everything that I need. I don't need your help on that. But today I want to give you one more component or essential component of what it means to be wholehearted. And here it is. It's that you're intentionally seeking to grow in your ability to discern and respond to the prophetic word. You're intentionally seeking to grow in your ability to discern and respond to the prophetic word. Now, I don't know about you, but um, 
I would say that we live in what's called now the information age. Because of those supercomputers that are in our pockets, we literally have the world at our fingertips. So from the news agencies that have 24-hour cycles now to the social media that's constantly bombarding us with incessant notifications, we are constantly bombarded with sound bites, stories, political commentary, conspiracy theories, and the ever-maddening notifications that blow up our phones, our Apple Watches, and all our other off-brand devices. Just figured I'd say that. So the green bubble people, praise God for you. Figure I'll bring you back in real quick. And so it's, a, it's an unrelenting barrage of information. And so let's be honest, one of the things that you can do is you have to be able to deter, discern truth from error. You have to be able to fact check the things you see, the things you hear, otherwise you will believe a lie and it could become a worldview or a philosophy by which you live. So it's important that we have what I would describe as a healthy degree of skepticism as it pertains to something that's purported as being true. Does that make sense? And so if that pertains to what we see on social media, if it pertains to what we see on the news or on the news outlets, how much more does it apply to us when someone says they have a word from the Lord for us? How much more should we be able to discern or how much more should we be able to discern our ability to distinguish between an actual prophetic word that's come from God and a word that has come from somebody's flesh or even worse, the devil, right? So we have to be able to discern these things, family, because if you get a prophetic word that is near, dear and true, it can change the trajectory of your life. It can build, give you encouragement, can it not? It can build you up and give you hope. But if you get a false prophecy that you don't evaluate, it can put you in a prison and you will live under the power of that thing because though it's a lie, you believe it's from God. And so what's happening today is I want to help you and help, and we're going to talk about discussing us discerning um, true and authentic, true and authentic prophetic words from the Lord, okay? So let me just, one, one, one sentence that should cause a healthy degree of skepticism is when the Lord, when somebody says, the Lord told me to tell you. Has anybody ever been there before? Yes. It can either, it can either be a dream come true or it can be a nightmare that's come to reality. It can be encouraging or it can be discouraging. It can be joyful and cultivate strength on the inner man or woman or it can cause you to be sad. And there have been incidences, I don't know about you, where some of the words that somebody has given me has actually aligned with what God is already telling me. And then you be like, Jesus, why are you telling him my business? Why can't you just tell me on my own? Like, I'm your child, right? You ain't have to go tell my business, right? So that's one. But then there's some others, let's be honest. They some wild takes. They worse than Patrick Beverly on first take. They just wild, right? I, I remember some, a, a young lady came up to me and she said, the Lord told me that you was going to be my husband. And I was like, your name ain't Sarah. Your name is not Sarah. <laughs> It's not, you know, it's not, it's not going to work. This is not going to work, man. I mean, it's before I met Sarah, but I was like, nah, I don't think he told you that. I think that was that Taco Bell. It was that cafeteria food that you ate at, at college. It wasn't that, right? You need to go back and make sure that chicken was cooked, right? 
right? But let's be honest, like a lot of us have heard things like that. Somebody, maybe it was a grandpa or aunt or somebody that's walked up to us and given us a prophetic word and you like, mm, I, don't, I don't know about that. I'm not, I may not be the most discerning person in the world, but that don't seem right. That don't seem of Jesus. And so because of that, now, now let's be honest, prophetic words in many ways, they can have a dangerous side, just like all of the spiritual gifts given from God. All of them have, all of them have a side that can be dangerous. But the prophetic word is especially, you have to be especially cautious because it puts that person that gave it to you into the position of authority. And when they're in the position of authority, you could feel like you're disobeying God by not following their instruction. And so that's where a lot of abuse has happened in churches because there's been prophets and, and, and pulpiteers that have gotten up here and spoken on behalf of God, but it was really them and it ended up hurting the people, right? And so, so that's one sense, but a lot of times people will use the prophetic as a means of saying really nasty things. They don't want to say it in their name, so they'll say it in Jesus's name. So they'll use religion as a means of, of expressing something that they can just do through Matthew 18, which is if your brother or sister offend you, you go to your brother and sister. Right. So that's what. So so you have to be very, very careful about this. And on top of that, we've seen in this recent national election that there were a lot of prophets that were prophesying that a particular presidential candidate was going to win that did not win. And so and then didn't come back and apologize and say, you know what? I heard wrong. And so this is something that has been abused in churches. But I also think it's something that God wants us to cultivate and develop because it can be a real benefit to churches. Because you don't have to go to a witch. You don't have to use crystals. You don't have to go to Wiccan cards or any of those things because they, the devil doesn't have access to all the power like Jesus does. And so prophecy is a very important thing, important thing but it needs to be done under particular guidelines. And so on top of that, I think we have to be careful because And somebody's like, well, what does this do have to do with wholeheartedness? Well, it has to do with wholeheartedness because some of us are in a prison of a false prophecy right now. Somebody said something to you when you were a child or somebody or a prophet or somebody said something to you and you've been living under the pain and pressure of that for a long time. And you're doubting the goodness of God because you're like, I thought you were going to bring that thing through fruition. And then sometimes God is like, that was not me. That was him. Right. So we have to be very, very careful today. So here's my objective. I want to help you become more wholeheartedly devoted to God. And I want to do that by helping you to be able to discern and assess the prophetic word. Okay. And so the first half of this message, I'm going to put on my seminary hat. I want to become your seminary professor. And I want you to understand the nature and the purpose of prophecy from the Old Testament to the New. And then I'm going to spend the balance of my time today expounding in 2 Chronicles 15. And what I want to do is help you assess the prophetic word so those ones that have been declared over your life, you can determine whether they are from God or whether they weren't. And if they were, I want you to believe it. If they weren't, I want to give you the keys to unshackle yourself. Okay? So you can be whole. All right, so let's, let's, let me put on my theology hat for a second, all right? Just don't, don't check out on me. I'll make a joke from time to time to keep you, keep you alive, all right? So what is prophecy? If you're new to the faith, or you, you may have heard this word before, or if you've been in the faith, you might be wondering, well, what is prophecy? Prophecy is a divinely revealed truth. Yeah. Simply put, it's a message from God, 
a message that God delivers to somebody or divinely reveals, and then they typically tell you, right? And so it's two natures of prophecy. There's foretelling and there's foretelling. Okay, foretelling or foretelling. Foretelling, the latter, is when you're talk is, is speaking the truth of God today. It's, it's for the purpose of edifying, exhorting, or comforting one another. That's kind of what it is. It's kind of communicating the truths of God in a way that encourages or builds you up. Like, like sometime when a pastor is preaching and you feel like they're talking to you, that's God using that word as a foretelling prophetic word to encourage, warn, or build you up long term. But on the other hand, there is something called foretelling, which is primarily predictive in nature. It's predictive. It's, it's, it's seeing something that happens in the future and then telling somebody in, about it in the present. So it's the Holy Spirit revealing or disclosing to a person. But here's the thing. What we notice in the scripture is not all prophecy is prophecy that is supposed to be communicated to other people. There are certain things that God will reveal to you that you that he doesn't want you to reveal to others. Does that make sense? And so in the Old Testament, what we learn is that God primarily spoke through the prophets. Whenever God had a message in the Old Testament, he, well, typically when he had a message in the Old Testament, he would speak to an Old Testament prophet. We have the major and the minor prophets all throughout the Old Testament. And a lot of this was predictive in nature, right? If you look at Habakkuk, he's telling them that there, it's a warning that the Babylonians are coming and they're going to conquer this land. That's predictive in nature. But if you look at the last chapter, he's talking, he's, he has a poem included in there. So sometime prophecy is predictive. Sometime it's a warning. Sometime it's a recollection of past history. That's what we see throughout the Old Testament, right? Stephen, when he's prophesying as he's about to be stoned, he recounts all of Israel's redemptive history throughout time. And then he tells them that they're weak and all those other things that got them stoned. But what I'm saying is, is that when we look at prophecy, it's not all predictive. It's all not glass balls and telling the future. A lot of it is warning. The prophet is warning people to have fidelity to Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. Does that make, does that make sense? That's what they're doing. When God had a message, instead of speaking to the people directly, oftentimes he would go through the prophet. And so they would say, thus saith the Lord. But he even gave us some guidelines in the scripture that you know someone is a false prophet if what they say does not come to pass. Does that make sense? And so in the Bible, prophecy is, prophecy is it's a message. It's God's words in the Old Testament. It's God's words that he speaks through people who are his human instruments. Okay, and listen, it was done without error. It was done with fidelity. That is how God spoke it. That's because the canon or the scriptures were still open. What that means is that God was still revealing himself over time. But things have changed in the New Testament, right? New Testament prophecy looks a lot different. Hebrews, here's why. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says this. It says, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, okay? That's just what I said. He spoke through the prophets, and that's how he included it in Holy Writ. But in these last days, somebody say these last days. He has spoken to us by his son, who, has, who he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he has created the world. The point here is that the, prophecy, the prophets were necessary for a season. God sent them to speak his word, to warn them about sin and transgression and the myriad of other things. But now he speaks primarily or, or, or he speaks primarily through his final revelation, who is Jesus Christ. 
And we find out about his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection all throughout the New Testament. And so that means that the final revelation of Jesus is the complete canon. We don't need any more scriptures because we have his final revelation who is Jesus. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? But there is, but so, so somebody might say, well, pastor, I've read Ephesians 4. And Ephesians 4 talks about how the church is built upon the gifts of the apostle, the prophet, the preacher, the teacher, and all those things. Well, here's, here's what scholars would argue, is that those were temporary gifts given to the church by Christ so that he can lay the foundation of the church. So they were foundational, and God allowed them to speak because not all believers had access to the Bible at that time. So early Christians did not have access to it. So what the prophets did in the New Testament is they filled the gap by proclaiming God's message to people who normally would not have it. And then once the scriptures were or once the scriptures were finished being written, now we have all that we need for life and godliness. That was the primer. Are you is that does it make sense? OK. And so but we do see that even though New Testament prophecy is not like the old it still does play a very, very important role now. And we learn that through Acts 2. Acts 2. God uses prophecy to help build up church. Look what it says Acts 2, 17 through 18. It says, in the last days, it shall be, God declares, he's quoting Joel, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And even on your male servants and female servants, in those days, I will pour out all my flesh. They shall prophesy. So one of the primary characteristics of the last days, which is from this event that happened in Acts 2, all the way to the return of Jesus, is that people would prophesy irrespective of their age, gender, social rank, or race. Okay? But it's not canon level revelation. There are no more Isaiah's walking around. There are no more Habakkuk's walking around. You and I cannot write Revelation 23. And our words are not God-breathed and to be included in the Holy Writ. But even though that's the case, it still means that it's very, very important. Here's what New Testament prophecy is. It's subordinate revelation that's Holy Spirit prompted. So prophecy today is sometimes erroneous because it's delivered by erroneous people and it should also be evaluated. Does that make sense? But here's the thing. Some of us didn't know that we needed to evaluate the thing because we thought when someone tell us that the Lord said that we were supposed to just take it as, take it as, as, as word from the Lord, but God has never encouraged you to suspend your critical faculties. And he has never encouraged us to gullibly embrace a truth in the word of Sam Storm that is purported to be by the Holy Ghost. That would be a contradiction, family, of him saying that we need to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, body, and soul. Because he wants us to use our mind in order to assess the words that have been communicated to us. Now, he also says, so on one hand, we want to give the spirit reign of our lives. Do we not? We don't want to quench the spirit. Right. But but we want we want to we want the spirit to do something. We want his power and his presence. And we don't want to throw on the fire of the prophetic word our doubt and skepticism. But also we need to be keenly aware, on the other hand, that everybody that said that they prophesy in the name of Jesus ain't prophesying in the name of Jesus. Everybody said that, that everyone that says that they have a word from the Lord doesn't have a word from the Lord. Sometimes they have a word from the flesh. 
Sometimes they have a word from, from what they saw on YouTube. Sometimes they have prior knowledge and they want to speak to it. Everybody that you run into don't have a word from the Lord. That's why Jesus said, didn't they say, oh, we'll prof- then we prophesy in your name. Then we cast out demons in your name. And Jesus was like, I really don't know you. I don't know you. I, I like, like, I think you did that for the platform, the prestige, for the money, for the offerings. I don't know if you did that for me, but you can get away from me, you, with, you wicked and worthless servant. You see what I'm saying? So everybody, God lets us know. So we must test the word. Somebody say test the word. To assess whether it's actually from the Lord or not. We have to examine the genuine, the nature of the prophetic word to determine if it's true, partially true, or even worse, wholly inaccurate. Okay? Y'all with me so far? All right, let me get into this passage today. So this is King Asa here. This is King Asa. We want to revisit him. Um, We're going to revisit King Asa. um, And we're going to show how he responds to the prophetic word. Now, if you remember in 2 Chronicles 15, he had just delivered, or God had just delivered the army, this, this army from being defeated by Zerah and the Ethiopian army, right? He had 300,000 soldiers, but the king had one million. And so he was like, man, I don't know what to do. So he was like, yo, I want you to put on your garb, put on all your battle clothes, and just stand in the line and believe that God is going to show up. Sometimes that's all you got to do, family, when you run into a problem. Like, sometimes you just got to show up and believe that God is going to fight on your behalf. Like, get out of bed, get dressed, deal with it. But like, Jesus, I'm trusting you that if I show up, you're going to show out. And that's what he did. He was like, God, I'm prayerfully depending on you. I don't have any power. I don't have any authority. Like, I've got this position as a king, but I need your help. If you don't do something, I'm going to be destroyed. And what we learn is that God gave him victory. God gave him victory. He showed up for him. And then as soon as he had won the victory, we find out in chapter 15, verse 1, that someone named Azariah walked up to him. This is what it says in verse 1. It says, the spirit of God came on Azariah, son of Oded. Stop right there. The Holy Spirit, or the third person in the Trinity, the one that hovered over the waters, that bought, uh, uh, that bought um, order to chaos, the one that creates us and all those things, he didn't indwell in people in the Old Testament. He temporarily, he temporarily overwhelmed them or, or came upon them. That's why David says in Psalm 51, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Because it was something that could happen back then. But now when you believe in Jesus, we are sealed into the day of redemption. So that means that we receive the Holy Spirit. He's there. He's convicting us. He's helping us grow and mature. And it's a deposit that God puts down until he comes back and fully redeems our body and soul. Does that make sense? So you can't lose something that's a gift. That's why you don't have to perform to to get Jesus' approval or perform to receive the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He's the one that offers it. He's the one that seals us. He's the one that's working in and through us to do of his good pleasure. So what we do is we receive and are grateful for the gift from the Holy Spirit, but we don't have to worry about it temporarily leaving out. Does that make sense? Or him temporarily leaving us. Okay, so Azariah comes up to, um, he comes up to this man. He comes up to Asa. And this is what he says. Let's read it in context. Uh, 2 Chronicles 15, verses 2 through 7. This is what it says. And Asa and all He said, and Asa said, and all Judah and Benjamin hear me. The Lord is with you when you're with him. If you seek him, he will be found. But if you abandon him, he will abandon you. For many years, Israel has been without a true God, without a teaching priest, without instruction. But when the Lord 
but when they turned to the Lord God of Israel in his distress and sought him, he was found by them. In those times, there was no peace for those who went about their daily activities because of the residents of the land had many conflict. Nation was crushed by nation, city by city, for God troubled them with every possible distress. But as for you, be strong, don't give up, for your work has a reward. Your work has a reward. So here's the first and one of the most critical steps when you are assessing the prophetic word. Here it is. Examine the focus. Examine the focus. Like, have you ever ran into anybody that all they do is talk about themselves? Anybody, you run into people like that before? They make every issue about them. They're all, it's always about them. We would describe them as self-centered. They are overly centering on themselves. They tend to ignore the needs of others and only want their needs, their desires, and what's best for them to be accomplished. Many people would describe them as egocentric, egotistical, and egotistic, right? And one thing that strikes me about this prophecy of Azariah is how it doesn't include any of those elements. He's not being self-centered. His focus is not on him and what he can do. His focus is on God and his character. Here's the thing. One of the hallmarks of false prophecy is when the prophet makes themselves the center of it and not Jesus. That's what it is. When they make themselves the center of it. Because what happens is they, you, they're putting themselves at the center so that they can deceive, exploit, and seize power. That's what happens. They often, in behind the scenes, they're living immoral lives. They scoff at authority. They create division, and it's all about them. You can tell they're always showy. They're flashy. They're trying to draw attention to them. But what we see in this prophecy is that Azariah is not pointing the mirror to himself. He's pointing it to God. He's saying, don't you know that when you follow and you pursue after God wholeheartedly, that he's with you? But that if you abandon him, if you decide to establish your authority outside of him, he will leave you to show you that you're not in control. And so what he's doing is, he's like, this prophecy is not about me. I'm going to disappear after I make mention of this thing. But I want you to know that if you follow God, he will be with you. He will give you victory. He will help you grow. He will help you mature and do the things that God wants you to do. Are y'all with me today? So you got you to examine the focus. And let me just add this. Like, the prophet should have some character as well. And so if he's, he or she is, is communicating a word and it seems that their lifestyle is not in alignment with that and they don't have the character or fidelity, then you should be very cautious about what they're saying to you. In other words, you just can't let everybody pray over you. You can't just let everybody put their hand on you. You can't just let everybody say a word of God to you. You better sl- slap that hand off. You better slap that hand off. You better get out of some of those services that you go to, right? And so they live in moral lives, but this prophecy is based upon the character of God. He said, I, God wants to bless his people. It's less on rewards and, and more to do with the heart. He's like, because think about it like this. When you, get, when you get victories in your life, oftentimes it can make us be prideful and arrogant. Because we think we did it in our own strength. That's why when you succeed, don't get too arrogant. And when you go through hard times, don't get too downcast. Because God is sovereign over it all. And so I think what he, Azariah is trying to get at is, hey, I need you to follow along with God. I need you to know that he wants to bless you. He cares about you, but he needs you to follow after him and not get elevated or not get pompous when you get this victory. 
That's what he's saying. So number one, what's the focus of this thing? Is it focused on the prophet or is it focused on the character of God? Here's the second one. Evaluate the words. Evaluate the words. Um, The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you abandon him, he will abandon you. Now, prophetic words have or words like this have three sources. The first one is the enemy. For some reason, the enemy wants to speak through people to discourage you. He gives you a word. The second one is people's flesh. So that's the unredeemed side of them. The other one is the spirit. And so the primary way you can determine the source of the word is you take their word to the word. Take their word, bring it to the word. And you can begin to ask questions. Sometimes you can just talk to the Holy Ghost in your private time like, hey, Lord, is this from you? This is what they said. This is what, this is what they said. Is this from you? Because it don't seem like it. Right? So you need to take that. On top of that, we need to take that word to the scripture. And so if he got that word, I'm like, hmm, where does that align in the text? And the first thing that comes to mind for me is Deuteronomy 28. And Deuteronomy 28, God promised blessings if the people of Israel would follow him. But he also promised cursings if they didn't. This is called a covenant, a covenant or a unilateral one that if you follow the guidelines here, I will bless you. If you don't, you will experience the you experience the ramifications of this covenant. And so when you look at the contents of this prophecy, it seems to align to scripture. And so it aligns to scripture. And so on top of that, it seems to bring glory to Jesus. So Azariah's word seems to be consistent with the Bible. But on top of that, it's consistent or truthful as it pertains to the history of Israel. Right. So when he's communicating this thing, he's talking about the redemptive history of Israel. Now, I'm not saying that prophets that that prophets who are true don't get some things wrong because we know in part. So we prophesy in part. But I am saying that the bulk of it should be true. Right. The intent behind it should be true. And you should be able to say and take it to the scripture and say, yo, I don't know if this is right. And I don't know because when I look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, it said that prophecy is supposed to come by the building up, strengthening, or the building up and strengthening of the body. But this word seems to tear us down. This word seems to bring contempt and doubt. It doesn't seem to edify us. In other words, if the word has the tendency to encourage or exhort, bring it to the word, evaluate it. But if it brings despair, you should be very, very mindful and weary about it. Okay? So the word you have to ask, is this, if it's predictive, then it means that we have to have an empirical explanation of this or examination of this. If somebody says that something is going to happen and it does not happen, you need to explain to them that that thing that you said was going to happen didn't happen. And so you can determine the trustworthiness. Are you ready? Are you got that? All right, here's the third one. Here's the third one. Assess the manner of communication. Assess the manner of, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm on YouTube a lot. And every time I see a prophet on YouTube, they always seem so angry. They just seem so mad. I'm like, man, what's wrong, man? Don't, don't you have the grace of God? The gospel? You got Jesus? Why are you so mad? Like, I know that we're living in a time of angry prophets, right? And I'm not saying that you're, you're, like, you can't be passionate about your communication. But I am saying is that when I see people angry all the time like that, it makes me wonder whether they're motivated by love. Are you motivated by love or is this a power grab or is it motivated by selfishness? Is this designed to bring you honor or in blessing instead of the people? Like a lot of times I, you can use your authority or your position to exert your will on people and you're not doing it out of love. You're doing it because you're lustful of something you want and you want to war after it. Does that make sense? 
And so what I'm saying is you got to be very, very careful. Like they could say the truth and they can be truthful, but the truth has to be seasoned with salt and sprinkled in love. And so here's a fourth one. Allow your community to test that word. When somebody brings you a word, pray about it. But some of the best thing you can do is talk to your trusted friends. Talk to your close associates. Like, that's why he beckons us. Like, like we need to take this. Like, like we, should, we should know people in our lives that have some spiritual discernment and wisdom. And that's why we're telling you to jump in the cruise. Because when you jump in the cruise, you're going to meet some people, if you don't know them already, that have some discernment. And that have some wisdom. And that can help you assess whether what this person is saying is of the Lord or not. Like, you need to take that to them. And you say, hey, hey, somebody said to me, the Lord said, and I wrote it down because I wanted to make sure I heard it correctly. And so what do you think about this? Can you give me some insight? And what that person will often say is, let me pray about it. And that's a good friend because they're going to seek the Lord for wisdom and direction rather than speaking out of pocket on something that they may not have insight on. And so you're going to take it to them. You let them pray about it. Give them a little bit of time. And while they evaluate it, while, while you pray about it, then you can say if it's of the Lord or not. Okay? Here's the fifth one, and I'm done on this. Analyze whether it corresponds with what God has been telling you through his word, his internal witness, and trusted advisors. Right? Paul says, right, you remember when Paul was awaiting to go to Jerusalem. Right? And I'm closing on this. He was going to Jerusalem. And somebody named Agabus ran up to him with shackles. And he said, yo, when you go to Jerusalem, somebody is going to shackle you up like this. They're going to take you and they're going to put you in chains. And it's going to be a dismal experience for you, Paul. But that was something that God had already been telling Paul. But Paul didn't see it as a means of something simply to hurt him. He thought of it as a means to advance the gospel. So somebody might get a word and give it to you and it might be true. But the truth is, is that you might have a different interpretation of it. They might view it as a warning. You might view it as a means that, hey, I need to press into this thing. I need to press into this thing because God is trying to help me. What, what I'm saying, friends, and I'm, and I'm done. What, what I'm saying is some of us right now are in the shackle of a false prophetic word. Somebody gave us a prophecy long ago, and, and we've been waiting for this thing to, to, come, to come to fruition. But maybe you not have not taken the time to really analyze whether it's from the Lord or not. But I want to encourage you, family. Like, like, don't live in the shackle of something that is false. Don't be in prison. Don't be in prison. Because at the end of the day, the greatest prophecy that ever came was Jesus Christ. He was the great. He was the word of God. John said he was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. What he's doing is he's pulling from a, a, a philosophy, like a platonic philosophy that talks about this thing being the Lagos. And the Lagos was the character or the principle that held all the world together, that created the world. And John says, hey, I like that from Greek philosophy. I'm going to borrow that real quick. And I'm going to give it his proper understanding, which is Jesus. So Jesus is the word. He's the person that holds everything together that makes everything, that guides everything, and the one that gives us freedom, family. So I want to encourage you today. You don't have to be enshackled to a false prophecy. You can be free to Christ today. One of the ways that you can become free to Christ is by welcoming it to your family, by saying, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I, I recognize that you have died on the cross for me and that you've resurrected vindicatively. 
I recognize, Jesus, that you have experienced pain for me and you rose on the third day with all power in your hands. Jesus, I want to be free from this false prophecy. But let me just tell you this. Some of you have gotten authentic prophecies from the Lord. And you've kind of ignored it. And you've played it off. You promised God that you were going to do something in your despair. And then you forgot about it when you were in your prosperity. And God sent you a prophetic word to remind you. Here, here it is today. Is that do that thing that you told God you were going to do when you were in the pit. That thing that you told him you were going to do. You said you were going to preach the gospel. You said you were going to be more sacrificial with your time. You said you were going to love him more. You said you were going to give more time towards spending time in devotion. You said that in the darkest time of your life. Jesus is like, you're here today because I want to remind you of that thing. That it's time for you to do, to make good on the promise you made long ago. And it's also time for you to be free from the shackles of false prophecy. I know that prophet may have said whatever to you. I know you may have sent that money in for the miracle spring war. I did that one time. I'm going to ain't going to lie. Peter Popoff sent that dollar in for the miracle spring water. I was in college. Come on, everybody does crazy stuff in college. It was like, take the, the miracle spring water, put it outside, and we're going to pray for it. And God's going to bless you. And I mean, well, he did, but, you know, I was like, Peter, you steal money. I can't mess with you right now. I'm not going to do this. What I'm saying is, sorry, Peter, you are, you'll be all right. What I'm saying is, some of us have done that type of stuff. We've called that prophet late at night and they said some stuff to us. Listen, I'll say this and I'm going to close, I promise you. I've said that two times already. But I really believe that some of them are not accessing power through the Holy Ghost. They're accessing it through some very nefarious means. And they'll do anything that they can do in order to get a little bit of authority so that they can lord it and divide people. But Jesus is trying to bring unity to us. Jesus wants us to be free. And I desire y'all to be free today as well as myself. Why don't we pray for you? Father, we just thank you so much. If, if you've been living today under the power of a word that's been spoken over you, that you believe to be false and you believe to be incongruent with what God has said about your life, I, I just want you to just take a moment to think about that thing. To think about it. And I want you to know that it does not have to have power over you. That you can be free to experience liberty in Christ today. That you don't have to live under the power of this word. So Jesus, we come to you right now in your mighty name. Lord, I know that some of us have believed some from false prophetic words. Lord, we thought about some things and believed that they were true and they amounted to be nothing. So Lord, I pray that you would free some folks in here today. That they would be able to assess it, to be able to determine whether it's from you or not. And if it is, may we follow it to the T, Jesus. If it's from you, may we pursue it and may we do it with joy and excitement. But if it's not, Father, we pray that you would remove the vestiges of it from our lives so that we can experience freedom and new life in you, Jesus. Help us, oh Lord. Help us to be mindful and discerning so that we can be wholeheartedly devoted to you, Jesus. And this is our prayer today. We thank you. We honor you in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, why don't you say... Amen. Amen. Don't you turn